0: We'll be right <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Strange Room Podcast, my name is Jason Barad and that was Silverhead and Rolling With My Baby and uh, I've got the huge pleasure of lead singer, songwriter, all-round rock and roll royalty here today. We've got Michael DeBar from Silverhead and we're here to talk about free, sumptuous deluxe reissues on the reactivated purple label on Cherry Red. Michael, welcome so much to the show.
2: Jason, I'm, I'm delighted to be with you. I loved our chat from a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm just so thrilled about Silverhead getting this wonderful treatment from this label, you know, Cherry Red, Purple Records. God bless them. They went so in-depth in this stuff. There's stuff on this, uh, these records that I don't even remember recording, man. I mean, I, I literally all of that live stuff that they have is such a, all five of us are very excited and thrilled about it, because it was a brief explosion, that band, you know, it was only a couple of years, and then, what is it, 150 years later, we got this, fantastic, very thrilled, it's good to be with you. Oh, Fantastic.
1: We'll be playing one of those uh, unreleased songs later and uh, obviously a, a live track too. I'd also like to touch on your band Detective as well as uh, bring us up to date. I just want to ask about Silverhead of course. And yes, I've heard Andrew Lloyd Webber had uh, a big
2: role in uh, kickstarting you as a, a rock singer and Silverhead in general. He really did, which is so ironic given his style of music and our style of music, but what happened very briefly was that I was an actor, as some of you might know and if you don't, I was a young actor and I was doing this nude musical on stage in the West End called The Dirtiest Show in Town. It was produced by Robert Stigwood. I was playing an androgynous rock and roll star. Andrew and Tim were writing Jesus Christ Superstar for Robert Stigwood. They came to see the play and you know i guess he was taken with me um in terms of the vibe and all of that he, he afterwards he asked if he could meet me and we met this is 19 late 1970 i think right i mean yeah. something like that and he says you know do you have any songs i mean i, I can i help can i you know i'd love to further your vibe and and I said, oh, yeah, I've got libraries and stuff. Of course, I didn't have a, any song, you know. But, but, I said, but I was, you know, hip enough to the fact to say yes to everything when I was 20. Uh, and I mean everything. And he says, okay, come over to my apartment and play with some of my friends and uh, perform the song. So I go home to my house, my, my apartment in Hampstead, and I write a song called Will You Finance My Rock and Roll Band? <laughs> The long version is is very long. The short version is he did. I mean, obviously, I think you uh, advertised
1: for uh, members of the band and uh, you recorded that, you know, your excellent debut album. And uh, another song I picked is In Your Eyes. Can you tell me about that song? That's a a great track.
2: Of course. It was about my first wife, Wendy. Uh, We were married very young. She was amazing. She was a, a street girl, really. Very intellectual, a painter, I remember she used to drop a cigarette ash into her Moroccan bag uh, because she never had uh, a handy ashtray. And by that, I mean, she was very, it was all in those days, a very loose world. And we met, I was at drama school, and I loved her so much. And she had these beautiful curls. And, and eventually, after a year or two, we started to look exactly like each other. So we wandered around London in these cloaks from Morocco and you know, and, and uh, shag haircuts and a bit of eye makeup. She's a really amazing girl and very inspiring, a terrific artist and painter and writer. And subsequently, uh, you know, became a, a, a therapist and is now a very flourishing therapist, a psychologist. And um, so, it was an auspicious beginning. And, and the song is really for her, it was written for her, about her.
0: is in your way
1: Silverhead and In Your Eyes and um, I think uh, one of, one of uh, everyone's favourite tracks of Silverhead is uh, Ace Supreme I mean that, that's, a, that's a really sort of uh, notable song I've heard um, that uh, Susie Quattro was on backing vocals on the album too
2: Yes yes I love her I mean how could you not you know <laughs> she was one of the first I don't think she's been given enough props really because mm-hmm. Joan was enormously obviously influenced by Susie Quattro and she's never really mentioned but, but in terms of Joan Jett, who is and should be. But uh, Susie's really terrific and made some terrific records. Uh, and, yeah, she was there. A lot of people were there. I mean, that's what was so amazing about that band was our sixth member of that band was the people that happened to be around. And there were a of people around all the time, which was amazing because it sort of it negated any kind of stress or pressure that, okay, Take four with, uh, you know, A Supreme. It was a it, the whole thing happened at a very organic vibe. That is an enormous affection that those guys had for one another and the entourage, dare I say it, it's such a stupid word, but the people that are around us were really encouraging. So it made us feel good. So that's why those records have a humanity to them. You know, they, 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 we were not proficient or brilliant musicians I mean Robbie and Rod and Nigel they were great musicians but the, the point was what does it feel like what, what what how do we want to make this feel and the thing is the less thought we had about it the better and the more good vibes and sexy sort of carnal depravity was going in the studio was captured in those records I firmly believe that and I think that it was so in your face that it was the reason that a lot of people love it to this day and a lot of people were actually scared of it and, and ran away from it.
1: Supreme by Silverhead, but um, Michael, you you were talking about um, <laughs> people being sort of scared of Silverhead at the time, and I wanted to play Hello New York, but um, as I'm in touch on this, uh, uh, the, the theme about um, Silverhead being ahead of your time and sort of keeps sort of re- reoccurring really in your story. Yeah,
2: it, it doesn't mean anything to me in terms of emotionally or, or in my, you know, career, because it was what it was and it is what it is and there are no regrets and when i hear underrated or if they'd come along like we didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> and we weren't you know mm-hmm. it was just us there we were in your face and it was very anarchic uh, iggy you know expressed that in, in america you know he was just up there to to express himself it wasn't like he wanted the applause needed the applause none of us gave a shit about any of that We were there to express ourselves, enjoy ourselves and wear great clothes.
1: Yeah, and you you really um, had a a
2: great lineup and great musicians in Sylved too. Yeah, I mean, Robbie Blunt, Rod Davis, Nigel and Pete Thompson, Stevie Forrest, you know, some of the best players. And, you know, it it just happened that those people came together, created a band, um, were on the same page, as it were. And, uh, you know, the outcome was something that even shocked us. Influences that music is the people around us. That's why Sixteen and Savage happened because it was real. You know, it was real that these things were happening. It wasn't something I was conjecturing or read about.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously for those uh, not intimately uh, knowledgeable about Silverhead, Sixteen Savage being your your, your second uh, album, um, and, you, and you you talked about the the, the live shows, and um, I wanted to play a live track from the Live at the Rainbow album which was only you, I was um, wanting to ask um, bands must have had real
2: difficulty following Silverhead. It wasn't easy. It wasn't <laughs> easy because they had to clear all the bras and panties away. That was <laughs> one reason. And, uh, you know, and also people would get up. I'd bring them all up. Because the whole notion, everybody, everybody's a star on a punk rock level, that anybody can do it, we, we, that's exactly how we felt 10 years before that movement. And, and Steve Jones, who I've worked with subsequently in Check It Pass, absolutely... Uh, Uh, would corroborate this in that I would drag everybody I could up on that stage and we would all do it together so when the roadies came to like um you know fix it up for the main band uh, there were problems and we were told not to do that uh which we took no notice of whatsoever and subsequently we kicked off a lot of tours but everybody wanted us to to sort of wake them up you know uh, the audience and and I think that prevailed and that's what we did man you know it was <laughs> it was uh it was good it, you know what it was so so involving and all-consuming that it couldn't have lasted more than two albums or two years yeah and
1: uh the uh the album live at the rainbow was released after silverhead uh, sadly broke up but I, i've read that you didn't even know you were being recorded for, for that record
2: no That's why it's so clumsily perfect. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, action, you know, as an actor, you start acting. But I remember when I did that movie with Clint Eastwood, and he said he would shoot rehearsals. And then when the rehearsals were done, you know, the actors would say, okay, ready, I'm ready. I think I've got it. And he'd go, "Uh, we've already got it. Uh, You can go to lunch. We got it. We got the shot. And that's the same principle we have with with Silver. We didn't know it was being recorded, and and that was up to they were recording our dear friends Nazareth, who were an incredible band, great singer, great band. Love hurts, incredible, mm. um, and and we love them. And but we didn't know that they were recording a live album, and they were just trying it out with us, getting the sounds right. And that ended up our album, which is so classic for us. You know, the, you know the bastard children of rock and roll. Let's get this live album. We didn't even know it was being recorded.
1: Yeah, and um, obviously the, the the live album, uh, live at the Rainbow, is the the third of the reissues. Here, there's, there's also some um, BBC and concert tracks uh, as as bonus songs on the, on the reissue too.
2: Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I mean, they they I think we were kind of, you know, we had a couple of hours sleep that week, and uh, I, I think we were ready for that. Yeah, I mean, what can I say? It's like. You know, I don't know, revisiting your past is, is, is tricky at best. I try not to do it because it stops me from moving forward. But boy, I had a, an evening with my girlfriend, my beautiful girlfriend, and we listened to it top to bottom, all three CDs. And I, I was sobbing, I was laughing, I was, you know, it really meant a lot to me. And I, I cannot express how grateful I am to the record companies for doing that. And I don't say I'm so grateful to my record company very often. <laughs>
1: No, I can, I can imagine that. Well, first of all, let's play Only You from the excellent Live at the Rainbow uh, reissue. Anyway, we're going to
0: do an emotional song. It's called Only You. <laughs>
1: Michael, some of my my favourite music of yours was um, with your band, uh, Detective. You really recorded some superb records uh, in in the late 70s. I'd like to play Got Enough Love. I mean, that's just a a monstrous track. What led up to
2: forming Detective? Well, I came to um, L.A. to live and to be with Miss Pamela, my beautiful ex-wife, who wrote, of course, I'm with the band, And we fell in love, and I came to Los Angeles to live. You know, Silverhead had run its course. London, I'd burned so many bridges, you know, uh, in so many ways. Because of my behavior, I was a full-on substance abuser um, in in every way, and and people abuser, you know, it was just very uncool. I reached a sort of a place where I was so exhausted from the Silverhead experience and so wired from it. And Miss Power was such a soothing, brilliant, poetic woman uh, that she calmed me down and took me to Disneyland, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, a, a wonderful man called Sepp Donahue, who was a major promoter here in LA, had a guitar player called Michael Monarch, who he thought was great, and he was great. He was the prodigy, the teenage prodigy in Steppenwolf, and they put us together, and you know, it clicked, and we got John Hyde, who's magnificent drummer and Bobby Pickett on bass and you know we rehearsed and Jimmy came you know Jimmy and Robert were, were in uh LA Jimmy Page Robert Plant and down um, they came to see us and and Peter came to see us Peter Grant I said um yeah <laughs> because they were fans of Silverhead. the four of them I remember we played a I don't know Birmingham or something we played a club in Birmingham very early on it's like 11 people in the audience and four of them were Led Zeppelin <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went back to their house and stayed for two or three months and um you know and became friends and jimmy was with miss pam It was all very incestuous and, and loving and 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 they signed us to swan song and said go go in the record plant and take as much time as you like and make this record
1: yeah it's fantastic well let's play got enough love uh that's from the detective album which was of course released on swan song in 1977 enough love from the detective album Michael um, there's this another song off the first detective album that's uh, really cool uh, it's recognition that's a, a great production actually
2: you know we spent a million bucks making it yeah it wasn't as if it were you know it was a uh... We were, we were not given the money to, to to explore these things. I mean, we waited a year for Jimmy to produce. You
1: know? Oh, my gosh. And,
2: and, and if you've got a new band, you give them a million bucks, and you don't do anything with them for a year, you can imagine what's going to happen. <laughs> young guy in LA with a million bucks in, in 1976 <laughs> in Los Angeles. What the mm. fuck do you think is going to happen? Mm. You know, obviously,
0: they're going to get strung out and, 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 and strung up. <laughs> <laughs> you know it <laughs> Doesn't matter what you've done Some people find it On a big silver screen Some find it behind a shotgun A girl never gonna be the same.
1: Another song from that uh, fabulous album is Ain't None of Your Business. Again, that's a real monster of a song. Um, But I think that was also covered by Kiss.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I don't know where we got it from. I didn't, you know, I know Gene and Paul. Gene and Paul were really good to me in all of my bands. They've they've been so supportive. Uh, Detective opened for Kiss, which was a hell of an experience, man, when you walk out there and 20,000, you know, young boys dressed like Gene and Ace and Paul and Peter. You know what I mean? You're doing your thing. You, you you wake up and you give the best show you can possibly give them. But, uh, yeah, they did it. I didn't know they were doing it. You know, I, I that song came in. It was perfect. It was just a bluesy, great track, and we toughened it up a bit. They they played it more in their Kiss Pop vibe, you know, but ours was heavier, probably. Great song.
1: It is. So uh, let's play uh, your version in Detective of Ain't None of Your Business. Another song I picked, it's a great ballad, and I think the song just builds and builds. Uh, it's 19 Gale,
2: yeah, it's a beautiful song. And John Hyde wrote it, the drummer. Um, it's uh, he's a very romantic guy, he's also you know the heaviest drummer ever. Mm. Um, that's an overstatement. There have been many, Bonham, Tony Thompson that I've worked with, but um, Clem Burke, but John Hyde is up there, no question. But a guy that could hit the drums that hard and play that hard also had this real romantic side to him, and to c- combine romance and power was very infectious. It's great vocal performance as well. Oh, thanks, man.
0: Take. Okay.
1: Next song is uh, Are You Talking To Me from the second detective album It Takes One To Know One. What was the production like in this period? I mean, did you have quite a
2: lot of time to, to record both those albums? Yeah, I mean, the first one... You know, this sounds awfully elitist, but uh, being on Swan Song was a very unique experience because we recorded for a year, you know, um, that was both indulgent, but it, I think it paid off because I, it's an absurdity to think you spend three months on a drum sound. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, now I make records in three days, you know, but in those days, if you have the ability to be able to spend time, use it. There's all different theories. Oh, get in, get out, do it live, make it real. You know, no overdubs, but there's a certain craft to making records that's different from playing live. And if you've got the opportunity to do so, it can be your worst enemy or your best friend, like anything in life. But those albums were particularly, you know, myopically focused upon. We were all stoned out of our heads, but at the same time, we were very, very focused on what that should sound like. And that's why it sounds so good, those records. But it got lost in the shuffle, man, you know, it got lost in the shuffle because of uh, it was on Swan Song, it was on Atlantic, there was, um, you know, tremendous tragic things that happened with Zeppelin that took their attention away and from actually, you know, all giving the orders to promote the album. And I believe that that's why it never really uh, soared into the stratosphere. But again, that's not a complaint, it's merely an observation. I think it was because you were on Swan Song and not, Atlantic as such you know so you
1: didn't have the format of Atlantic sort of
2: pushing you yes I mean I've heard over the years from people that worked at Atlantic all over the country that they weren't simply given the records to promote or to play Mm. and you know that's happened to a lot of people again I'm not casting aspersions on anybody it's a fact
1: So after Detective, yeah, you played in Check of Past, and obviously, you know, you, you played in uh, the Power Station and Live Aid, and you became a fabulously successful actor, especially as Murdoch in MacGyver. But in more recent years, you've kind of really touched base back with your sort of musical roots. A song that I like to play that kind of ties things uh, neatly is uh, Carnaby Street. I think that's from about four or five years ago. And that's a song where you, you talk about the 60s scene
2: in uh, London and sort of how exciting it was at the time. Yes, it was. And I did. And I, it's hard to capture something like that. And it's only, I think, decades later that I could. I certainly couldn't have done it at the time because it's about me. I mean, you either write from your own point of view or you're a journalist and, um, and you observe and, and you write about what you observe, but Carnaby Street, I don't know, one night I just picked up that guitar and I was 19 in 1967. That was the opening line and I wrote it in five minutes. I mean, all the best songs I think that one has ever done has been written in five minutes. It just takes, then you have to, you know, record it. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're sitting in your living room with, you know, somebody you love and you play it for them, and that's probably the best performance you'll ever give. Yeah, it,
1: yeah, the, um, the energy from that track really
2: shows. Yes, we did it the whole album live. I think we spoke about it, didn't we? I mean, we did. I, I, I did it in five days. We did it in five days. Mixed. The whole shebang i did i i only sang live i didn't ever i didn't go in and do a vocal again everything wow. on that album at once fantastic well you know it was <laughs> a good day <laughs>
1: Today is uh, a special one I-, I guess and it's a, a bonus track from the uh, second Silverhead album in this series um, but I think it was the uh, last to be recorded it's from the 16 and Savage CD but um, it's James Dean and I think that was previously unreleased
2: oh yeah nobody's ever heard that no it's it was made for our ostensible third album which we were going to call Brutiful and we were so taken with the States. We touched on it in 16 and Savage. We spent, you know, most of the time uh, in in America in the last year. And so we wrote these songs that were iconic for us. And who's more iconic than James Dean?
1: That would have been formed part of the third album. Was that, was that a demo then, that, that track?
2: I've never believed in the word demo, Jason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just go for it and record. Every time. Just full throttle. Yeah. There's no other speed in rock and roll, is there? Mm. The real joy of all of that was the live stuff, Jason. Mm. Playing live, with you know, we'd support all of these bands in America, Deep Purple, Uriah Heep, all of these huge stadium bands. And then we'd go off and play the clubs that night, and they were rituals of just absolute... Decadent, three-chord magic. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing experience. And we didn't sleep for two years. I mean, it was... I think I had a nap in August of 73. You know, I mean, it was like non-stop um, music.
1: I've heard this. Uh, there's a film being made about your life as well.
2: It's done. You know, oh. you, can, uh, you, you, know you can access it um, you know, on Netflix. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's got, you know, it's got Miss Pamela, Steve Jones, Gabriel Byrne, Don Johnson, you know, a lot of, John Taylor, a lot of interesting people that corroborate one's journey, which has been pretty interesting. <laughs> and and I, think, I think it's helpful. I, I think the thing is I have been through hell, heaven, hell, back. We all have. We all have. But for me, it's just been a wonderful journey because I've arrived at this place. I've never been busy. I've never worked hard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then I do right this second, you know, and I enjoy it, and, and my life is rich and full, and it's, uh, I don't usually go back. Only when people who actually know about what happened, like you, can I really go into it comfortably and talk about it, but uh, it's been a delight to talk to you, and I would say to everybody out there, you know, do what you love, you know, take care of your community, you know, your family, your friends, and that ripple in that lake of, of, of peace and happiness will just grow. You know, if you take care of yourself, first a foremost in everybody around you. And that's what my life is. Uh, that, that's uh, beautifully summed up, Michael.
1: I wish you all the best, and uh, not that you need it. The albums and the reissues of the Silverhead albums have, have been really, really well received. Let's play an uh, unreleased song uh, that, that hasn't really been heard until now, and uh, it really is one of the highlights from the trio re- reissues on Purple Records. Uh, thank you so much. I assume everyone... Needs to log on to Michael. Is it Michaeldebar.com to to find out the latest about you?
2: That would be the way to do it, Jason. Thank you so much, and thank you, audience, for listening.
0: No, right, give it to me then. This is just for you, Purple Records.